Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Hello, and good evening, everyone. This is Sarah Ellen. Uh, We are still waiting for Susan to dial in. Uh, She has not yet joined uh, the call this evening, but I'm looking for her number, and I will put her through just as soon as as she is on the line. 
I'll just let everyone know while we're waiting for Susan that the guest this evening is going to be Alicia Patterson. Uh, Alicia Patterson is a woman's pelvic health mentor, and she runs a thriving health practice in Colorado and virtually, where she offers hands-on female public health work. And um, she offers results and retreats and intensive work, plant medicine, and teaches uh, training for practitioners to enter this powerful field as well. So stay with us um, until 9 to hear Alicia Patterson or come back at 9 o'clock and join us again to hear our guest this evening, Alicia Patterson. And uh, let's see, I am going to see if we can... information from Susan. If I can just have everyone hold the line for a moment. All right, Susan, is this you? This is, All right. this is Tatiana. Oh, thanks, Tatiana. Okay, let me put you back on hold, and I'm going to see if I can connect with Susan. Thanks, everyone. I'll be right back with you. All right, welcome. Hey, Ellen, hi. How are you tonight? Hi. Wonderful. How are you? Just fine. Sorry, I'm a little bit late here tonight. Mmm, we finally got a day when it didn't rain. Oh, it's just nice. been hard to come inside. Yes, so nice. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about harvesting the linden. We been talking about harvesting the linden for weeks, and... <clears throat> about when the right time is, and then last week I was talking about, you know, it's all well and good to say, oh, this is the right time, but you have to harvest it when you can harvest it. So similarly, we've been really stressing about the hypericum, right? Because I've made some uh, experiments, and for sure, hypericum just really, like, doesn't work well if it's sopping wet when you try to make it into remedies, but... I've been using the same criteria. I go over by the hypericum, and if the bees are in the flowers, I say good enough for me. Nice. That's a wonderful cow. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Zara was here, and she ran, you know, every time the sun came out, she would run out and see if the hypericum, you know, if the bees are in the hypericum. And we managed to catch a couple of mornings. Um, Usually I don't go out and harvest plants in the morning because it can be more damp in the morning than at any other time. But that tended to be the time. And, of course, we were also looking for that kind of reddish-purple staining on our fingers, right? Right. 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 What have you been up to this week? Oh, well, uh, we, I have been introducing the hymns to 
new parts of the barn and the outside. Uh, but he helped the barn kitty recover with the help of a veterinarian and some antibiotics. So returned the barn kitty to the barn. And um, okay. having fun. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, had an upper respiratory infection of some type, um, oh. but that is clear. Yeah, it came on real fast, and it was a wonderful opportunity, though, to be with him, and he is actually pretty friendly. He's not too much of a feral cat, so it was Oh, it was good, okay. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that can be a problem. Feral cats can really react actually quite badly to care being offered to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you on that. I'm grateful that when I saw him in distress, we had a moment together, and he made it very clear that he was open to my help, and the vet said ah. he was really wonderful with them, too. She said, is he always this way? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, wonderful. Yeah. 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 And I said, so who do we have? Yes, I shared with the guest about about Alicia Patterson. Uh, Yes, I shared a little bit about um, who would be joining us at nine o'clock Eastern, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really interested to hear what she has to say. I always learn something new whenever I talk to someone about the pelvic floor. Hmm. That's fascinating area. I learned so much when I was writing down there from the women dealing with the pelvic floor. One of the funniest things that I learned was about jicking. What is that? What is that? Jicking is short for just in case. And it is one of the worst things you can do to your bladder or to your child's bladder. Mm. is to go now just in case. And how many times uh-huh. have we done that or have our, or when we were young did our parents say, we're going in a car ride, go pee just in case, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And she says, absolutely no jicks, just in case, right, J-I-C. Yeah. 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 You train your bladder. Because it gives your bladder the wrong message. (laughs) Right. Wow. Wow, huh? Simple and profound. So we'll see. I love Simple and profound. We'll see what Alicia adds to our store of pelvic floor knowledge tonight. Meanwhile, have we any people with questions? Yes, we have, uh, let's see, three people who have pressed one to let us know they have questions and would like to speak with you. We have many more callers in the queue, so I will remind everyone, please do press one to let us know that you have a question for Susie. And uh, our first caller is calling from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um. I'm calling because uh, up until uh, this morning, I was approximately about six weeks pregnant, and um, 
I believe, well, I know that I'm, you know, oh God, <laughs> I knew I would start crying as soon as I started talking about it. But anyway, I'm <laughs> miscarrying. Yes. I hear you. And I hear that you don't want to be miscarrying. Well, I was kind of okay. I was a, I was okay with it, but <laughs> I guess I um, haven't talked about it, you know, because I'm just experiencing it. But um, yes. I I just wanted to make sure, like, I think everything is going the way it's supposed to. Often a miscarriage is far more emotional than a birth because we're losing yeah. something. And we're losing something that is really hard to talk about. We're losing the future. We're losing a future that we imagined, envisioned, invested in for a little or a lot of time. And it's very difficult uh, in our culture to put any value on that. Every pregnancy that a woman has is precious to her, even if it's a pregnancy that she doesn't want, even if it's if it's a pregnancy that she's going to terminate, it's it's a very special thing for a woman to be pregnant. Yeah, I would say so, and it's never yeah. happened. You know, I have three other, I have three children, um, and uh, yeah, you know, it was. Um, not exactly planned, but my husband and I definitely talked about trying for one more, and I just, uh, I guess wasn't expecting this. It just hasn't happened before, so, uh, and... Um, Your three other children are how old now? Uh, well, I have a 15-year-old uh, that I had when I was 22, and then uh-huh. um, I have a four-year-old, she just turned four in June, and a two-year-old uh, who turned two in July, right at the beginning of this month. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm 38, so I know I'm like, kind of, I'm what's considered, uh, oh, I can't even think of the term for it, maternal gestation, later maternal gestation or advanced maternal gestation or something like that. High risk. They're, they're yeah. going to throw you in the <laughs> risk category at that age. And right. your highest risk for miscarriage. Right. Yeah, and it's like I know all of that. It's funny because I was I I actually was totally prepared. I mean, I didn't even tell my family about it or anything because, you know, I was thinking that I wanted to I didn't want to obviously have to make an announcement that this had happened, so uh, my husband and I agreed to just wait past this period so it's you know I knew that it was a possibility but then when it actually happens and you say it out loud it's kind of I don't know <laughs> everything you said <laughs> different and it's, but, it's a little harder to um, remind yourself shall we say that you haven't failed right yeah you've made that's a true decision. And that's a decision that it made based on what it knows that you don't know. Your body's decided that it's not worthwhile to invest itself in that particular pregnancy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking maybe I uh, exercised too much or maybe I did this or that. I mean, you know, Absolutely I started not. thinking. None, none yeah. of that. I mean, wouldn't that be great if anybody who wanted to um, could get rid of an unwanted <laughs> yeah. pregnancy by exercising too much? But no, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> No, at one point uh, I said to Elizabeth Ross, why do people blame themselves for things that they obviously are not in control of? And she said, because it makes people feel more secure to think that they might have been able to do something different. Right. Like we're in control. And I said, but they couldn't have done anything different. She said, I know, but that doesn't have anything to do with what they're wishing for. So it, it it is difficult to allow ourselves to sink into the fact that life is chaos and that um, things happen not necessarily for a reason. You know, ever since the age of reason, we've always wanted reasons for things. And there isn't always a reason. Sometimes things just happen. Right. Well, uh, I guess, you know, the main reason why I was calling is just to, I mean, I don't think that I'm bleeding too heavily or anything like that, but I don't have shepherd's purse or yarrow tincture on hand, and so... uh, and I don't know that I really should take anything just, you know, uh, to slow any of the uh, bleeding or clotting or any of that. Um, but I uh, feel a little better since I initially dialed in because I picked up the uh, my copy of Down There and I was looking at the heavy bleeding section and just sort of uh, perusing the, um, you know, remedies for for the heavy bleeding and and uh, <clears throat> I guess I uh, was just curious if you know if I should consider taking anything at all you know I've taken some cramp bark root because I was cramping and um, and uh, and that was just to you know make myself a little more comfortable and uh, then I uh, I took an ibuprofen also, which yep. then I saw was yep. actually in here. So, um, that right? <laughs> do that, what? All, that all sounds good. What I would look for is that the miscarriage moves along, that it doesn't stall out. Uh-huh. Right? In, in other words, that you're bleeding now and you so, seem to be moving toward releasing that life within, and you should see when that happens, product of conception, mm-hmm. which could be placenta, fetal tissue. Right? You should actually see things, not just blood. Mm-hmm. You're how far along at this point? You said 12 weeks? Uh, no, I was only uh, six weeks, approximately six. And so, okay. I they're probably going yeah, to the center, but you should should see some tissue. Okay. 
It okay, will be more yeah. than a, be more than if it was just a heavy menstrual flow, for instance. Yeah, I mean, there's been lots of clotting, like really big clots that I've never, you know, experienced before under any other circumstances. Uh, and from what I know, uh, just from what I have read, uh, because I've never experienced this personally, is just that that would potentially happen for a couple of days, I guess. Um, with uh, some clotting and, and heavy bleeding and uh, just to look out for, uh, you know, excessive bleeding of like soaking through a pad every hour or something, which it was pretty heavy like that for a little while. And now it's, um, it's just, it's not as heavy, but, um, you know, so just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it seems to me the greater danger is that you don't adequately clear what's in the uterus. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. That's why I'm saying you need to, you know, watch out for what's actually coming out so that if mm-hmm. if you have reason to believe that you haven't really expelled everything, mm-hmm. then that would be a clear indication to have some help. For instance, right. I miscarried. It felt to me like it was a complete miscarriage. But I was going to teach some midwives, and so I figured, well, that's great. I would ask one of the midwives to do a bimanual exam on me. Because you cannot do a bimanual exam on yourself. <laughs> You've got uh-huh. two hands, but you can't get them in the right places. And she did, and she said, oh, you're fine, you know, yeah, your uterus is closed down, it's all good. I had miscarried less than 24 hours beforehand. Um, And on the way away from the workshop that I had done with these midwives, and we were staying the night in Manhattan, I asked um, my sweetheart who was driving to pull into a little, you know, service area, and I went in and I got some Pepperidge Farm chocolate chocolate chip cookies which was kind of an odd thing to do. And I got back to the car and I proceeded to eat the entire package. I did not even offer my sweetheart a single cookie. (laughs) I ate the whole bag and I'm kind of looking at myself going, that is really strange, Susan. I have never seen you do anything like that at all. So I ate that whole bag of cookies. We got into Manhattan. We parked. We walked the four or five blocks to the apartment. We walked up a few flights of stairs. I walked into the bathroom and passed the products of conception, which had been still in my uterus. I see. Chocolate power. Right, yeah. My well, body knew I, what yeah. it needed. It needed chocolate power. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just put some in my grocery cart, so I'm supposed to get tomorrow. So, <laughs> so, so you know, what can I say? I thought my uterus was clear. The midwife did an exam and thought my uterus was clear, and we were both wrong. Okay, yeah. So that, you know, that that really needs to be paid attention to. Okay. And I think what they're saying by saying, oh, it's a couple of days, is that it shouldn't be going on and on and on. All right. Well, that's all helpful. I 
think you're going to be okay. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to call back next week and let us know how you are, that would certainly be good for me. Okay, sure. <laughs> Thank you. That'd be great. For the Thank invitation you. to do so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. All right, we have five callers that have pressed one to let us know they have a question to come online and speak with you. Our next caller is from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. So, um, about three weeks ago, I think you recommended that I take Hawthorne um, a double dose while I was complaining about dizziness uh, for yes. a little time. And um, I don't really feel a difference, but um, what happened during this time is that I started losing weight by not eating sugar in my tea or I don't eat cakes, I don't like cakes and I don't eat bread and I lost by now 8 pounds in about 2 months and a half of which I am happy however I do feel tired I do use a cane that I think has a bad effect on my shoulder because the the one that the arm that holds the cane lifts up my shoulder. I notice that, and uh, I'm trying not to put too much weight on it, but it does give me some secure sense of, of better balance, and without it, it's hard for me to stand. And uh, another thing that I noticed is that the arm that holds the cane um, falls asleep when I am in bed not putting any pressure on it. I usually, it's the left arm, and I usually write, I sleep on my right side. And it, it, it kind of loses sensation as I'm lying in that position, I wake up and it's kind of half not awake and, you know, needly and stuff. So something's going on. I have some... Can the height of the cane be adjusted at all? Of course, yes. I, it is adjusted comfortably. Uh, I can, if I choose, I can stand straight without putting weight on it, and I'm trying um, however, I, I am you weak. Said, you said that it was pushing your left shoulder up. Yeah, if I, if I lean on it, if I lean on it, my shoulder goes up. I noticed that. I looked in the mirror because the shoulder gave me trouble. Now, it doesn't give me trouble, but the arm started feeling 
uh, not okay. I need to uh, divulge a secret is that I pick up all kinds of symptoms that don't belong to me but to people I know or I am connected in some way and a friend of mine got uh, a stroke. And uh, I have some pains in my chest on the left side and uh, stuff, and I don't know if it's mine or hers because I never know what's what. And um, So why would a stroke have anything to do with the left side of your chest? Uh, because that's the part that she she got it, and also her memory went blank, and I got a little blank, but usually not... A st- Oh, usually a stroke means that the blood flow to the brain is impaired. Uh, if you if the blood flow to the heart is impaired, it's generally called a heart attack rather than a stroke. Yeah, she did. Uh, she was sent to to a cardiologist. Also, I don't know the details, but I know that I get affected by what's happening around me. Like the other day. A few times my right knee hurt, and then I heard from a very close friend that uh, she barely walks. She's in New York, and her right knee is the problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it's funny, but I lose the the little energy I have by by spreading myself and being like a sponge, which. Nothing helped. You know, I read a lot Actually, of Actually, you are not being like a sponge. No. A sponge is the only organism that has survived every mass extinction on this planet. There have been at least three mass extinctions in which 99% of all life perished. And the only life form that has survived all three is the sponge. But what the sponge does is quite fascinating. It takes everything in and it spits out what isn't useful to it. Wow. You are not acting like a sponge. You're taking things in, but you are not spitting things out. That's right. But if I go to sleep, it usually helps. But I spend a lot of time resting as a lifestyle, and that's not good for me and for my heart. Uh, I am trying to go to the gym. I do some steps up and down at the post office, but I'm not moving enough, and I feel tired very easily, like in three hours. Office needs somebody to go weed the pavement there. It's really looking derelict, isn't it? Yes, it does. But I like. You notice the... it looks like nobody goes there. It looks like it hasn't been used in ten years. It's really. I was there the other day. I'm like, somebody should do something about this. <laughs> it's I, I like those green leaves coming out of the stone. <laughs> I, I do, do too, but it really looks junky. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, if they'd been useful, I would have harvested them myself. But it wasn't purslane or plantain or any of the useful plants. It was just some kind of grass and stuff grow there. Yeah. Right. So what I would envision you doing is that you set aside even just a minute, perhaps in the evening or perhaps several times a day, mm-hmm. in which you say, anything that is not me leaves me now. Uh-huh. Okay. It's it's nice and it's kind and it's loving and it's caring that you experience your friend's pain, but it doesn't help you or them. 
Exactly. That's what my daughter keeps repeating. I said, I'm not conscious, and I'm not interested, and I don't want to, and it happens. And maybe some unconscious you, way. But you can be conscious and aware and interested to have it keep going. It doesn't have to stop it with you. It's just out there in the universe. You're not listening to every TV show and every radio show in your head. I don't watch TV. I'm telling you, those things are going through your brain. All the all the vibrations from the TV, all the vibrations from the radio, those are all in our bodies. But we don't pay attention to them. And you don't have to pay attention to these things you get from your friends either. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yes, it's there. And do not in any way deny that you feel that or that that's happening. It is there. In fact, any one of us can feel the pain of any other human being or all human beings. Yes. And Prima Chodron said, you know, the next time you're feeling despair, think of that as the despair of other human beings. Don't make it your despair. Think of all the humans who are despairing and let your heart flow with compassion for the despair that humans feel the next time you feel wronged, right? Don't say, oh, I'm the one who's wronged. Say, human beings get wronged. We hurt each other. And let your heart open with compassion to how we all hurt each other. I do that, yes. Yeah. That keeps things moving rather than saying, oh, now my knee hurts and I can't do anything about it. You can do something about it. You can say, be gone. Yeah. That is very simple. I'll see how it works. I would love, I would love, I, I was, I am aware that I don't like this. It it exhausts me. I go to sleep. I usually feel better if I wake up. It's not like a knife that keeps bleeding. It's a, whenever I sleep, I really release something. I don't wake oh, up and, good. yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Now, about the hawthorn, I wanted to ask you, should I continue with double the... I'm sure that the numbness in your arm is really critical. I know it's annoying as anything, but it pretty much resolves when you get up, yes? Yeah. 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 But usually usually it happens, normally it happens if I fall asleep on an... Uh, on an arm that it can go numb, but this arm is on top of me. There is no pressure on it. That's why I wonder, because, of course, you know, sometimes things go numb because of pressure. Mm -hmm. This one doesn't have any pressure, so that's kind of strange. The pressure of your arm laying against your body could, in some circumstances, actually be enough pressure to cause that. Wow. Well, that's that's um, that, that's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen above me or under me in both cases. Exactly. <laughs> How about mm, my... It's just, no, it's just an area where, the, you know, the flow gets cut off for a yeah. short while, and then it comes back again. Yes. And um, so long as circulation is good to that area, and I think it is, 
um, since you're up and walking about, then there's no problem developing. It's just a nuisance and annoying. Yes, that's right. Not not a big not not a big annoyance. I mean, you know, just if I start thinking. But the dizziness is annoying, uh, and uh, you can, and you continue with your dizziness. Yeah, I continue. That has not abated at all. No, it didn't affect my dizziness. And I oh, wonder, so you know, maybe sometimes I know that herbal things are natural, and it may take a longer time, but I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you. With, in this kind of situation, I expect herbs to work fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if I were dealing with this, I might at this point seek out a homeopath. Uh-huh. Okay. And see what the homeopath has to offer me. Okay. And about the being tired? It's been very humid and hot. And everyone is feeling under the weather because it's down pressure. And it's like a pressure on you. It makes us all drag around. No, for me, it's already four years, so I can't put it on the weather, even though, of course, there are differences between good weather so and good weather. Yeah, not more tired now. It's the same tired that you've been for four years. Yes, yes. It's, it's a sense of, of, of incapacity to carry my weight around. And, you know, I'm not 400 pounds uh, I'm going down now to 190, and uh, my usual weight was 130, but for menopause I give it 30 pounds, so I want to get to 160. That's a reasonable goal. Yeah. And I, I think th- as you as you do that, that uh, my suspicion is that you will feel more energetic. I'm not exactly sure. Um, Let me put it this way. I believe that every person has 100 units of energy. Mm -hmm. And people who seem to have a lot of energy are people who are using not a lot of that to run their physical organism. It takes energy to run your body. Yes. So some people have minimal Requirements They can use 10, 20, 30 units of their energy to run their body, leaving them between 70 and 90 to put out into the world. But even those people, if they hit a problem, are going to need more of their 100 to deal with their body and will have less to put out. So I don't ever see anyone as having little energy or less energy. I think everybody always has 100 units of energy. But mm-hmm. when someone says to me, I have little energy or I don't have enough energy, my belief is that your energy is being used internally. Yes. And 
that that's not just running your body. It is also running interference with your stories and your emotions. Absolutely, yes. And yes. it can it can take a lot of energy. And the simplest things can really take energy. Yes, I know. I think you've been listening. I think yes. you've been listening to the show, so you know that after my fifty hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments, the wound care doctor said, "Okay, now it's time for a non-surgical skin graft." And they were pretty casual about it, and I didn't realize it was going to be a series of skin grafts. Um, and so I was really like kind of thrown for a loop that. Um, it took so much energy. Yes. It took so much energy for my body to deal with that skin graft. And then the next week, they didn't have one. And I could see the difference. It was so very different. And then for the past couple of weeks, I've had it. And so I came up with this image, which I think really helps me to understand and perhaps other people as well. When I'm dealing with the skin graft, it's like riding a bicycle with a 10-pound weight tied on the left handlebar. Oh. I can still ride the bicycle. I can still get to where I want to go, but I am going to be much, much more exhausted when I get there because I'm struggling against that 10-pound weight, right? Yes, yes. So this is, is, I think, true of all of us that we're not ever really tired. If we take a look at what's going on inside, we will see we are using that energy there. I'm very much aware of that, yes, yes. Yeah. So hooray that you have that energy to use internally. If that leaves you less for outside, sometimes that's how our lives are. Yes, because I notice the yeah. shift the moment something good happens, I'm completely different, like in a second. Yeah. So you're doing, you're doing great things. You're getting yourself up and you're being active. And that's one of the most important things to do because once you start getting still, then you just want to stay still and it's harder and harder to be active. So I'm really appreciative of your... Um, Focus on staying active through everything. Yes, really yes. good. Job. And I know that you know a lot about muscle memory. And not just muscle memory of task, but muscle memory of emotion. Yes. Yes, I do. And one of the things that one of my teachers suggested to me when I felt just incredibly mired in grief. I just, it was like, you know, years were passing, and I just could not seem to get myself out of the grief. And she suggested that I go, starting with the root chakra, into each one of my chakras and remove all attachments. Well, you know, I went home and I started, and I called her up immediately, and I said, hey, wait a minute, my parents are attached to my root chakra. She said, right. I said, so I don't have to remove them, right? She said, no, I want you to remove everything. And I said, how can I do that? She said, you're going to have to trust that anything you need is going to come back. 
and it allowed me over a period of time to go into each one of my chakras and to look at what was attached there and to actively detach all of it. And that gave me a lot more of my 100 units of energy for outside because I was not using so much of it inside. I hadn't even been aware of how much I was using inside. Not all of the attachments were loving and kind. Thank you. You're welcome. Very helpful. Thank you, Susan. You are a very special person. I'm so glad that you share with us. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. And we have four people with questions. Our next caller is calling from the 808 area code. From the 808, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hello. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm enjoying the day. How about you? Oh, same. Enjoying a really beautiful day. Um, I have two um, issues, questions that I wanted to bring to you. Um, and I guess the most pressing, you, you sort of were just addressing it with your discussion on attachments and letting go of attachments and all the chakras. Um, I'm experiencing... Um, grief and heartbreak right now. I'm separating from my partner of many years. Um, and it's just been really impacting me in so many ways. Um, I'm wondering if you have any gems aside from what you've already shared. Mm. It's certainly the theme tonight, isn't it? Um, like with the miscarriage, a lot of the grief when a long-term relationship comes to an end is the grief of the imagined future that we won't have. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to grieve that future vision that we thought we were going to get. It's like we don't feel like we deserve to grieve something that we never actually ever had. We just wanted it, Right. Right. But it's a real grief. It is a real grief because in a very real way, we have projected ourselves into the future. As a matter of fact, the standard, you know, wedding promise is, you know, for better or worse, till death do us part. Mm-hmm. And so there is that promise of the future of somehow growing old together and tottering off into the sunset. And in whatever way we personally have envisioned that, um, when a long-term relationship ends, we can't envision that anymore. So not only do we grieve our future, but there's 
something about the past too that somehow the past gets canceled mm. the past where there was fun and love that you might have gone to those memories um, to warm yourself as at a fire those memories now burn you mm-hmm. and it, some people even come to question whether or not they ever really loved the other person because the past seems so wiped out by the grief of the present so we're we're in a way losing the past and losing the future and that's a lot to take it's a lot to grieve Indeed. Yeah, I'm finding that I'm um, having trouble sleeping. My digestion is off. And, you know, the moods go up and down and all range of emotions. It's a lot. And you're how old right now? 35 years old. Mm-hmm. And do you have any mm-hmm. children? Yes, one daughter, she's seven. Mm-hmm. So there's a um, sense of responsibility you have to your daughter. Yes. That there's a certain level of keeping it together that you have to do for her. For sure. Is there anything that you want for the future? Um, well, I want to be happy. <laughs> um, All right. So yeah. your assignment then is five minutes every day. Pretend you're in the future and you're happy. day. You're going to spend five minutes in the future where you're happy. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Can do that. that. Yeah. The really hardest part for me, when I had a really big breakup with people I was super close with, was that I knew that I still loved them. Mm-hmm. And I would sit and I would meditate on how much I loved them and I would send them good energy. And every time I did that, they would really torture me. Mm-hmm. Like empty the bank account or come in the house and steal all the notes I had for a book and publish it under their names. I mean, really, right? Oh. It got to the point where I had to, like, recognize that they were using the highway of my love to abuse me. And that it was imperative that I close that highway. Yeah. yeah. So you just stopped sending that. Yeah, it made me feel like a better person that I loved them and could put love out to them. But it didn't mm. make my life better. 
So yeah. I just had to swallow that, you know, you're not the better person you think you are. You're not going to send them any love. You're just going to shut the gate on that and keep mm-hmm. them out. And it wasn't easy to do because that also required me to really accept that it was totally over. Yeah. Denial. And of, of course, that totally over is a little attenuated if there's a child and you want shared custody. Right. The saving grace there is that the other person gets involved with somebody else really fast. That's exactly what has happened. (laughs) That's definitely the best thing for you. Hmm. You think so? (laughs) Absolutely. Now, there's no question that you have no responsibility of any kind to this person. Mm-hmm. Besides the ordinary human responsibilities that we all have to each other, to be kind and to communicate clearly. Yeah. But whereas before this person's welfare was important to you, it is no longer important to you. And let just let the new partner pick up all of that. You do not need any of it now. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. And bless it be to that new partner who's willing to take that on and set you free. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that really helpful. Um, I have another question if you have time. It's a simple one, I think. I think we do. I think so. Go ahead. Um, This is, gosh, I guess it's been about two or three years now. I have a cyst on my wrist, um, what they call a ganglion cyst, and I've been kind of watching and waiting for many years now with no real changes. Um, I think I heard you speaking about chickweed for cysts recently. just wanted to confirm that. Chickweed is really excellent for dissolving internal cysts, like ovarian cysts and breast cysts. Uh, Sometimes it can be effective when applied externally um, because of the saponins, which open things up. But usually for the kind of cysts that you're dealing with, uh, comfrey is the herb of choice. Okay. And comfrey applied in any way that you can put it on. You can soak your wrist in it. You can put the spent leaves from infusion into an already stained kitchen towel because it will stain it really badly. And, Uh you know... Semi-freeze it until it's really cold and wrap it around your wrist. You can do it hot on your wrist. 
you can, if you have fresh comfrey, you can chew it up and put it on there. You can use comfrey oil. You can dig up comfrey root and smash that onto it. Any kind of comfrey applied in any way to your wrist. And I, I would love it if poultices worked best if you just put them on and left them on for a long time. But unfortunately, they work best if you put them on for a short amount of time and do it frequently. Uh-huh. Okay. Which is a drag. Yeah. Because well. they're me- because they're messy. So find some way that isn't too messy and doesn't drive you crazy and that you're really willing to commit to. Uh-huh. And it can be just, you know, really as simple as rubbing a little comfrey oil on there. My um the mother of the father of my daughter had a huge cesarean scar. And she rubbed vitamin E oil on it daily for three years and totally eliminated it. Now, to hear her talk, it was the vitamin E. I don't really think it was the vitamin E. I think it was that she did something every single day for three years. And I think any kind of oil, any application that she put on there would have been tremendously helpful and that she would have gotten the same result. Mm Mm-hmm. So just a daily practice of caring for the yes, little owie, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Susan. You're amazing. Love listening to all your wisdom. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Aloha. All right. There are four callers that have signaled they have a question by pressing one. Our next caller is calling from the 812 area code. From the 812, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, I'm calling today to on behalf of a baby, an eight-month-old baby okay. who has a benign brain tumor. Um, and I know your – I understand your position on – um, secondhand consultation, so I just want to put that out there and ask if that's okay. I can the baby ask can't talk to me. Okay, so the baby yes, is eight months old, and she has a. It's just recently been found a, a benign brain tumor that is an optic nerve glioma, and she just started today chemotherapy with two drugs, and then Christine, and the doctors say she'll be on this for eighteen months at least. So I'm calling yeah, just to ask um, for a I do not understand. About- I'm sorry. You have left me in the dust. We had eight-month-old baby with a benign brain tumor, and we are yes. using the worst chemotherapy that would fell an adult. Okay. Could you explain this to me? I don't get it. Why is a benign brain tumor being treated at all? I think the worry is that the tumor will affect the baby's vision or her pituitary gland. Well, let me tell you, the drugs that they're giving her will affect far more than her vision. Okay. Have you looked up the side effect of these drugs? So, yes. These will impact her for the rest of her life. She might be better off dying from a brain tumor than taking these drugs. I know that's a harsh thing to say. 
Okay. But these are okay. awful drugs. Okay. And to to put to suggest that anyone take these drugs for eighteen months. Okay. I, I, I never even heard of that. Okay. Uh, it's obviously you. not daily. It's obviously, you know, at intervals because you could not survive if you were given those drugs right. on a daily basis. And it might be that they're um, being given in very small doses, uh, but the difficulty with those small doses is that cancer becomes resistant to chemotherapy. Okay. So the small doses are not recommended because the cancer more easily becomes resistant And then there are fewer and fewer choices. But again, I want to go back to the beginning. This is a benign tumor. Yes. Benign means not a problem. Okay. So okay. I think I, it's, I it's I think it's really important to read up about these drugs and to actually decide, right? Vincristine is one of the drugs she's taking? Yeah. That causes hearing loss. I, I, yeah, I, Just I, one I, I, of the side effects. And again, these are side effects that she will have for the rest of her life. If it were my child, and it's not, but if it were my child who had a benign brain tumor, I would say, let's wait and see. I'm willing to come in every three months for a brain scan. If that's what we need to do. And if it starts to grow, I'm willing to discuss treatment then, but I'm not willing to put my child through that kind of torture on the possibility that something might happen. Okay. Okay. Each okay, one of I us is you. different. What I would choose is not necessarily what you or the mother would choose. But right. Right. But please be aware that this is not a casual decision and that the effects of these drugs will always be with this child. Okay. Yes, that makes sense, of course. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for your input. All right. You're welcome. Great blessings. All right. And our next caller is calling from the 831 area code. From the 831, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Uh, I hope you can hear me. Hi. Okay, I live in the mountains. So. Hi. So just let hey, me know hi. If, um, if you need me to repeat. Okay. Um, so um, my daughter, who's 25, is great, admirer of her, of yours, 
and she's had me listen to you a lot. And so she's encouraged me to talk with you because for many years now I've been suffering from fatigue and exhaustion and um, other stuff, but I think it all stems from fatigue and exhaustion. And um, so I just wanted to see what you had to say, and I'm happy to tell you whatever you need to know. I didn't know if you wanted to ask me questions first or if I just would give you a short history of when it started, the fatigue. Well, tell me a little more about what you experience when you say you're fatigued. Um, I wake up tired. I remain tired throughout the day, exhausted sometimes. Uh, I have trouble sleeping, um, which increases the feelings of exhaustion. Um, I have about two good hours a day where I can move around and do things other than that. Um, but but no matter how much I rest, I don't recharge, but I have to. But um, no matter how much I rest, I don't recharge. But I also can um, um, not ever feel energy. Like I'm always at this very low level of energy, and when I have to like do grocery shopping and things that I have to do, I get I get really tired and I have to rest the next day. It's sort of classic chronic fatigue. Autoimmune something. Well, to me, it's classic for women who are really angry. Okay. I don't know if you heard me at the beginning of the show when I was talking about my belief that everybody has 100 units of energy. And if we're feeling like, oh, I don't have the energy to go shopping, it's not because we don't have energy. It's because that energy is being used inside. And the cluster of symptoms I have seen over and over again associated with women who are furious. And they are going to squelch that fury. They are going to stop that fury. And what happens is they wind up Absolutely exhausted. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I think... Um, and you may or may not know um, what you're so upset about. And you certainly don't have to well, tell me I, if you I, know. And if you don't know, you don't even have to tell yourself. The interesting thing about this is that we don't have to have a story to move our emotions. Okay. Elisa Starkweather, when she taught here, used this land that I live on in a most wonderful and remarkable way. She took the women out to where there's a cliff and she had them put their hands against the cliff and push and scream. And she said to them, you have about as much chance of budging many things in your life as you do of budging this cliff. And a lot of the women really got it. That their Mm. rage at the way things are um, wasn't going to get them where they wanted to go. 
in the beginning when I was first helping people, I would tell people who had joint pain that joint pain is very strongly related to anger and that one of the things they could do would be to kick a pillow or to hit a pillow. And about 90% of them said to me, I'm not angry about anything at all. I don't know what you're talking about. And the other 10% said, I'm angry all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And so basically nobody knew what I was talking about, and they certainly weren't willing to do what I was suggesting. So I got devious, and I said, well, you know, they have found that impact exercise is quite important if you have sore joints. And then it's important to, like, kick a pillow or stomp on a pillow or elbow a pillow or use your fist to hit a pillow so that there's a little impact into the joints. And people were pretty willing to do that. And the vast majority of them would call me up at some point and say, you know, when I was hitting that pillow, I suddenly saw my husband's face. Or, you know, when I was stomping on that pillow, I suddenly recalled this thing that my boss had said to me. There is a punch pillow here at the Wise Woman Center, and we teach the apprentices how to use it and suggest that they um, do use the punch pillow when they feel the need to. Many of us are brought up and then further somewhat convinced um, if we're exposed to any kind of new age spirituality that there's something wrong with anger and that if we're angry there's something wrong with us and we should not be angry and so we do our best to be the wonderful people that we envision ourselves to be and not be angry and there's certainly nothing on the surface wrong with that except it doesn't actually work that way Because the body knows and the body registers. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting what you're saying. I'm taking taking it in. I mean, I've done a lot of um, therapy and work on anger and my emotions, so I know what you're talking about, and I. I could believe that maybe there's a reservoir there that I never touched or that it just fills itself back up and consciously, you know, when you release anger, maybe it fills it back up. And, um, you know, I've done like everything you can think of, Susan, in terms of therapies and workshops. I've done ayahuasca and nonviolent communication and um, I'm practicing. That's what I'm saying. Five years. So those things get you hung up in the story. And they don't actually really move the anger because they seem to say that you shouldn't be angry. We're going to find this anger and we're going to get rid of it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that that anger is a vital and important part of your energy. Mm. 
and that in so, so far, as you have worked to get rid of it, you have worked to get rid of your own energy. So, uh, so are you saying like with a punch pillow that it creates more of an awareness around the anger one is holding? Yes, because anger is there to show us where we need to make change. I see. And then what we can decide whether we're going to change that or not. And if we decide not to change that or if we feel very stuck in changing that or we're have a lot of fear about changing that, then the anger just will persist and then it can affect one's energy level because one is, because I am, as you're saying, with 100 units, I'm using it to uh, quell or suppress or deny the anger. Is that right? Yes, you're using it to manage the anger. Because you don't think it should be there. Because somehow the therapy has led you to believe that the goal of that therapy was to make you a not angry person. But that's that's not a healthy goal. Well, right. Well, I mean, I, I hope that, I mean, listen, there's this sense that the emotions lead you through the doors of wisdom. So you have to fully embrace and accept and not judge those emotions, you know, like you have to fully accept and embrace the anger, so you can't judge it or try and fix it or get rid of it. But I can see what you're saying when I apply to me that perhaps in practice that's not how it works. I mean, intellectually I can think that, but maybe physiologically I'm resistant to even acknowledge, like maybe I can acknowledge a certain amount of my anger, but I can't acknowledge like the steady stream of the intense anger because maybe I'm not living my life in a the way you would way. like to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, our Tai Chi teacher talks about the scene at the supermarket that we've all seen where the kid says, hey, mommy, uh, uh, and mommy says, ah, I'm not getting that for you, and the kid says, ah, uh, uh, and mommy says, if you don't stop that, I'm going to give you something to cry about. And we all think, the kid's already crying. What do you mean you're going to give the kid something to cry about? The kid's already crying, right? So what's going on here is that the mom is dissatisfied with her life. And she is choking back her rage and her grief. And she has got a real lock on her throat there. Because she has to be the mom and she can't afford to be angry or to grieve, and she did not find romance in the lettuce aisle. And so she's going to give the kids something to cry about because she's not going to cry. Yeah. And we, and I think more to the point, we we can all do that to our inner child. Yeah, it's like, yes, I see what you're saying. Yes. 
And then the consequence of that is that there's a result, right? And the result is, really, you're not going to pay any attention to this and you're not going to allow this? Then we're not going to let you do anything. And you start to feel like a, like you're living in a civil war, that you're fighting against yourself. Right. Well, I mean, wish I was that conscious, honestly, about that. Like, I don't, I don't consciously feel like I'm fighting against <laughs> myself. But, but that's probably the bad news. It would probably be better if I did. Because then I could maybe maybe not maybe yeah you know again what I have seen is that the less we actually know about the story the better it is that we get very caught up in the stories right. And we think that somehow rewriting the story or doing that is the goal. And that's not the goal at all. Right. Like, I I think that um, my thing really, I think that it's really, like, not trying to do that. But I think that it's, I understand what you're saying. Like, it's a way, like, you've just got to get visceral and in the moment with the anger and not try and be intellectual or think it away or strategize it away. Just got to get visceral and, and have an experience with the anger. More than yes. trying more to than, strategize yes. around More that. than discuss it. Right. Let's remember that talk therapy was created by Freud, who, when told by women that their fathers, uncles, and brothers were raping them, said, you're hysterical, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I got it. I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of Alice. No, so talk therapy... That, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, it it might be helpful for some people, but I don't see it um, as being, in general, that helpful. Because yeah, it leaves I, you mired, mired in your story. And as you're saying, yeah. what we want instead to be, we want you to be present in your life. Yeah. So sort that's of what you want. You're present with that with that physical sensation, um, and also mental or emotional effects of that anger, and bringing it into like a present day experience. Yeah, would be a way. To not make a way for not you to acknowledge that. And that doesn't mean that anything has to change. It can from there, but it doesn't have to. In other words, the change you would like is to have more energy for outside tasks. Yeah, I just yeah, I want to wake up with energy. And I also want to fall asleep. Like, once a medical intuitive told me, She's, this is what she thought. This was many years ago when I was first experiencing this. She said, you've completely lost the ability to relax, so you don't relax during the day and you don't relax at night. And that's what this one medical intuitive thought. 
And so since since then you've worked on learning to relax? No, not really. <laughs> no, I mean since then I've learned I do learn um what the cause was, you know, through diet and also through my psychology through past trauma, you know, and trying to release it and also trying to just experience and it. Again, what I'm saying it. is that will never get you to your goal. She was right on. You need to know how to relax. You don't need to know what caused it. You don't need to get to the root cause. You don't need to know any of that. You need to simply learn to relax. But, I mean, are you saying, speaks to the also having maybe a lot of anger that I'm suppressing and using some of my hundred units, as you say, on I'm, I believe, but I could be wrong, that you were talking about your insomnia and that you were talking about a difficulty in going to sleep and uh, waking up feeling exhausted. And that right. okay. those have to do with, as your psychic friend said, an inability to relax. Okay. An inability so to ever. From... Yeah, it's quite separate from it. An inability to from ever trust. It. Basically, right. you know, or as one of my one of my therapy friends said, she's a woman who says to her pillow at night, "I know you're out to get me." <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm just trying to circle back a little and understand that you're talking distinctly and separately from the, you know, anger and how to be with yes, anger, which is to... Quite different. Okay. This okay, is about... I'm, I'm here this with is you. About, this is about being what we might call wound up. Yes. Another way to talk about this is that there are two nervous systems, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And the sympathetic nervous system is red wires. It's fight, it's flight, it's freeze. It's, I'm not going to sleep. Bad things happen when you go to sleep. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the blue wires. It's mend, befriend, tend. It's relaxed. And the more we are in the sympathetic system and the red wires, the more threat we see everywhere. And even one visit to the parasympathetic and blue wires can be enough to change that. As a daily practice, it can't be beat. What's a daily practice? What is a daily practice? Whatever you choose as a daily practice to relax you have an opportunity perhaps at some point during the day to take some time off whether it's a five minute break or an hour break or something in between but to say this is my time I'm taking this time right now and I'm not responsible to anyone else during this time no one can ask me for anything And 
start there by simply sequestering that time for yourself. And then what are you going to do in that time that is relaxing? If laying down makes you anxious, then maybe relaxation for you is to do a Feldenkrais exercise. Maybe relaxation for you is to listen to some music. Mm-hmm. Relax is different than sleep. More important than sleep. And without it, sleep doesn't do much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we teach the apprentices a self-hypnosis technique in which you tell yourself that you are going deeper, deeper, deeper into relaxation and that you are going to cue yourself into that relaxation by counting backwards from 10 to 0. And then when you want to come back to your normal state, you count from 0 back to 10 and you're here. Once you practice this, really it takes less than 20 seconds to count from 10 to 0 and from 0 back up to 10 but it takes you all the way down to that relaxation point and can be used even in a, a dramatic and threatening situation. But baby steps first to give yourself that time. And to find what works for you. Do you find it hard to go to sleep because your mind is racing? Um, I'm not so aware of that. I, I find it, hmm. what's, it's, it's really odd. I'm a tired, like my eyes are tearing. I get in bed, I'm pause, I feel like very confident that I'm about to fall asleep. And then slowly, slowly, over the course of an hour, I just in increments wake up until I'm awake. It's very frustrating. So the frustration is that your body won't do what you want it to do. Well, yeah, I mean, you could say it that way. The frustration is I feel myself waking up and I don't understand it when I got into bed and I was tired. You don't need to understand it. Okay. Sleep is not really very important. Hmm. What is causing your tiredness is the stories you're telling yourself about it. Um, Which is you that, that you're going to be bad. and cranky and tired if you don't get sleep. I have never found that to be true. And I thank Elizabeth Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, for telling me this. I travel... There are years when I have traveled very extensively, and that means I'm sleeping in a lot of strange beds, and it's difficult to sleep in a strange bed. And, yeah, you know, you say, okay, I'm tired, I'm going to bed, and you lay down, and no, you're not, your body says, no, we're not sleeping here. 
And I say, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to think about something? Are we going to read a book? What are we going to do? And I go with that. And I do not say, well, it's going to be a really tough day tomorrow. You're not getting any sleep. I say, I'm going to have a great day tomorrow. When it's time to get up, I'm going to be refreshed and ready to go. Why shouldn't I be? I love it. I love that that shift in the in the relationship with sleep and relaxation yeah. and being okay with waking up or not going to sleep at all. The fact of the matter is, if your body needs to sleep, it will sleep. I mean, they've done lots of experiments where they've kept people up. And you can't do it. So if you're awake, it's because you don't need to sleep. Hmm. And it's a good time to practice relaxation. It's a good time to practice meditation. It's a good time to... There's so much free guided meditations on on the net now, you know, because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There sure are. And you know, load <laughs> some of those up on your phone or your or your laptop or whatever and you say, Hey, what am I gonna do? Oh, maybe I'll do one of those guided meditations. And Susan, what a perfect you- thing to do in the middle of the night. Did I lose you there? No, no. I, I think uh, maybe. Oh, she's still there. Okay, good. I thought your call had dropped. Yes, and I just want to remind everyone, um, it is time for our guest, and Alicia is on the line, Susan. Oh, my goodness. How fast the evening has flown. Alicia Patterson has a lot of letters after her name. In fact, she has more letters after her name than in her name. She's an M-A. She'll tell us what that is. She's an L-P-C. Don't know what that is either. know what an L-P-N is, but I don't know what an L-P-C is. She's an R-D-M-T. Ooh, that sounds kind of sexy. She's an L-M-T. I'm not sure about that. A C-Y-T. Oh, that's even more dubious. And she's also a women's pelvic health mentor. She runs a thriving women's health practice in Colorado, as well as virtually, offering hands-on and virtual female pelvic pelvic health work, including pelvic floor therapy, organ placement work. I'm not sure what that is. Um, She's doing surgery there and placing organs in different places. Endocrine and nervous system-based body work. And I hope that she'll tell us about that as well. And she also does trauma-informed care, emotional and spiritual permission, 
and psychologically sound ethical consent-based touch work, which sounds like an awful lot of words. Alicia is most interested in what's beyond the world of pathology and bypass. I'm not sure if we mean cardiac bypass. And approaches clients with a completely holistic lens and treatment plan. She runs women's groups, works with clients one-on-one, offers retreats and intensive work, and teaches a training for practitioners. And she loves doing interviews and podcasts. And I am welcoming Alicia here to the show. Hello, Susan. Can you hear me? I can indeed. And welcome. Can you just run us through what all those letters are? Sure, yeah. So um, I'm a somatic, which means body-based counselor. So LPC is Licensed Professional Counselor. I've been working in the mental health field for a long time, a little over a decade, and um, yoga teacher. (laughs) Talking to a 75-year-old woman, 10 years is not a long time, Alicia. I know, I know, I shouldn't have said that. A long time is at least 40 years, okay? (laughs) Yes. Full All right. Yeah. I'm just really surprised you said a long time, 10 years. I'm like, wait. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I um, uh, I got Licensed professional counselor. Uh huh. And the MA is? Um, That's my degree, Master of Arts. Master of Arts, okay. And DMT is dance movement therapy. It's dance movement therapy. Dance movement therapy. Yeah. What's the R part of it? Registered. Re- you're registered dance movement therapist yeah. and an LMT. Yeah. Massage therapy. Licensed massage therapist and the mm-hmm. CYT. Yoga teacher. Certified. Certified yoga teacher. I have never seen these abbreviations except yeah, for MA. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a journey so you for me. You have spent a lot of time getting licenses. <laughs> and, I have. Um, yeah. And you um, uh, wrote a little note that there's some uh, new and exciting research going on about the wiring of the reproductive system. Yes. Um, my favorite person for the research is, I don't know if you know her brand and business, Olivia Bryant does the self-cervix work. And she was one of the first people that I saw that started sharing the study. I don't remember the names. I'm like not the best research person. There was a study that came out about six years ago that talked about neural wiring and nerves that go down all the way into the cervix. And that before this study came out, a lot of the allopathic world, which is like traditional Western medicine for listeners, the allopathic world was saying the cervix is non-feeling and should be avoided and it's like kind of awkward and weird. And this research about the cervix and then the continuous research after this big main one came out, proving that the cervix is innervated has made a pretty big splash in the sacred sexuality world and the emotional healing pelvic world. 
and is um, one of my favorite things. As I went through a LEAP procedure years ago and felt like it really impacted my nervous system, and I only unwound that many years later when I got into my own pelvic therapy work and doing hands-on work. So it's one of those things that I talk with people so much about is this um, the cervical experience and how things can impact the nervous system when the cervix is not taken care of very well. It seems to me that this is one of the downsides of getting so many licenses because it's certainly been well known in women's health circles and women's sexuality circles um, for at least 50 years that there's nerves in the cervix and we need to pay attention to that. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's not obviously not good enough until there's an actual study there. I remember at 19, a doctor doing something in my cervix, and I say, cut that out, that hurts. And this doctor looked at me and said, your cervix has no nerve endings. I said, maybe your cervix has no nerve endings. It was a male doctor. I said, but mine has nerve endings, and you're going to cut that out now. Good for you. Absolutely. I had no education about this as a young person, and I didn't. I had no education either, but I know what my body knows. And I'm not letting any man tell me my body's. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is pervasive. I see this in my practice and I felt this. And I think that the, you know, embodiment and connection to our A new view of a woman's body, which was published, what, back in the 70s, talks about the innervation of the cervix. So really it has been around at least for 50 years that we have known about this. I'm glad that there is, you know, finally a study proving that what we know is right, but it's kind of like, you know, I slept with my baby despite the fact that they told me I would kill my baby to do that if I did that. Right, right. And I looked at them and I said, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not addicted to drugs and I don't drink alcohol. I'm not going to kill my baby. If I roll on my baby, my baby will cry and I will wake up. Mm -hmm. I can certainly see how if you were drunk or out on drugs that you that could happen but neither of those right. cases was really um, anything that was going on with me at all so um, when you are working with women um, you do a lot of work starting where where would you begin um, Yeah, so my training, my official training, I trained with a PT, a physical therapist. I'm not a PT, so I always try to be really clear about that. My big focus is the trauma-informed care piece. So I always start with a meeting and a consultation and learning about people and their history and why they're interested in receiving hands-on support or working with their pelvis and their feelings and their stories. And my biggest thing about my work is that it's very slow, very consensual. It's very different than some physical therapists where it can be a little faster and they go in all the way right away. I do work with the vulva and I do abdominal and uterine massage and uh, like visceral manipulation work with the belly. So everything is always a lot of discussion, a lot of clarity and communication, and a lot of emphasis on what someone is ready for and what they want. And that might be that we just do belly work for many sessions, and then other people might be ready for a fuller internal process 
but it's I find that the most powerful piece for so many people is the communication and that things are slowed way down and there's a real settling and relaxation of the nervous system that can often happen that is pretty different than most experiences that people have had with their pelvis when it comes to a practitioner. Most of us have experiences with a gynecology exam or maybe a physical therapist or a medical procedure, and often those are so quick and so fast and can be cold and uh, maybe not so much care, and we're in and we're out, and I'm on the way opposite end of the spectrum where I have a lot of time with people and I really learn about them and their story and if they're having symptoms versus if they want to address a trauma versus if they want to work on something that's happening with intimacy and their partner. There's lots of different ways that, like, we go down these different paths. And my favorite way to work is some tailored process work. So it's a little bit different for everybody based on what they're needing. One word that I noticed that was conspicuously absent from all of this is the word orgasm. Yes. Yeah, so and I, I believe that see... orgasm is critically important to pelvic health. Absolutely. Yes, orgasmic experience. I'm very clear that because of my credentials and my insurance and how I present myself in my community, I don't do vigorous stimulation work. I don't facilitate like a traditionally viewed big orgasmic experience. However, the work can be very expansive and really supportive of experiencing different types of orgasm at home with oneself or with a partner. And it can really enhance and totally alter experience of pleasure and orgasmic capabilities and different um, types of orgasmic experiences once the tissues really work through the patterns that they need to express and feel. So after you do that interview with the person, um, and I also want to react that I have some pretty extensive experience with um having physical therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I did um, physical therapy um, to help regain the use of my arm after my surgery, and I did that weekly for a year, and I've been doing pelvic floor therapy weekly now for um, a year and about three months, and I've also mm-hmm. done physical therapy for various other injuries that I've had, and I've never in my life met a physical therapist who touched me with that asking me or who in mm-hmm. any way invaded me or was fast. Absolutely. Yeah, I never want to smash PTs. Um, well, I you were contrasting what you do physical therapists who are fast and invade, and what I'm saying is not my experience of physical therapy. Absolutely. I understand. I um, love physical therapists, and my co-teacher of the training I teach is a physical therapist, and some people that come to me want so much uh, different kind of discussion and working with the vulva and um, more like emotionally process oriented work and feel that sometimes physical therapy doesn't give them absolutely true therapists generally don't do anything emotionally although I have found them 
willing to be present to my emotions. Yeah. But nothing beyond that. In the same way that you're willing to be present to certain physical things, but nothing beyond that because you're leaving it for the other people. But I also just want to point out to the people who are listening, one of my themes, which is a license is a noose around your neck. And you can hear how Alicia is noosed. You can hear how she's constrained. You can hear how her licenses have taken away her freedom, really. And it's why I never suggest anyone get a license. Because all it does is make you liable to charges of doing it wrong. Whereas if you don't have a license, nobody could sue you. That is right. That's a good process. You know, it costs a lot of money to get all those licenses, and you wind up, you think, you know, being safe, but in fact it actually makes you far more vulnerable. When you are working with women, do you find that there's ancestral things going on, things that have their mothers have experienced? Absolutely. Yes. This is a huge part of process for so many people. It um, never fails to amaze me that tissue-wise, like as we get further back into the pelvic tissues and we're, <clears throat> excuse me, close to the ovaries, there's this um, very like powerful and kind of like big in a way, like things that are bigger than the person in their own story, things that they feel about their mother's experience or their grandparents or maybe ancestors that they don't really know or they don't have facts about them, but they like feel this current of like a, like a flavor in the body and really big things can come up around the Holocaust or slavery or different types of genocides that are cultural. And it's different for everybody because we all have different lineages, but there's this like trend and current of very deep, very expansive kind of like collective and ancestral uh, content, I guess, and themes that can come through a person's body and through their visions and their dreams and, and their emotions. And it's a really incredible process. And that can be a person that they know in their family and they're working on a specific event to like long, long lines of ancestors and feelings about cultures and world events and some of my favorite type of work to do with people. In every book that I have written, there have been parts of the book that I didn't want to write but nonetheless knew that I had to. When I was writing down there, one of those sections was a section on trauma, and I didn't want to write about trauma, um, but I knew that I had to. How come I had to? Well, um, my take is that if we are all made of cells and cellular uh, currents in the body have ancient memories and we come from our parents and our DNA and epigenetics and how DNA changes through life experiences that we all have, quote, trauma embedded into our system. And that can look and feel like so many different things. So even if someone doesn't have a trauma history of like a 
they know that this happened and they were this old and here's the story. For so many people that enter into pelvic work, trauma can get stirred up and touched and sometimes it is their own story and sometimes it's beyond them and their body. And that can be confusing and disorienting at times. But the history of the world and humanity, we all have trauma embedded into our bodies and uh, we all need to know about it. So that's my take on why you would write about it and include it. Um, and our organs, I, I, you know? I agree, but it's also the ongoing trauma of women on this planet. Every minute of every day on this planet, a woman is violently assaulted or killed. Right. Absolutely. There's no way, There's no way right. that any woman lives with her body in ignorance of this. Her mind might be in ignorance of it, but her body knows. Right. Her body knows Absolutely. that her sister are being raped, murdered, and brutalized. And so I think that one of the really important things for pelvic floor health is the women's human rights campaign. And you can okay. find the women's human rights campaign and become a signatory to the... Um, Women's human rights. I think that women deserve human rights. I'd like to see every woman on this planet feel safe. Absolutely. Yes. I think one, of the, the, one, of the more, one of the more awful things that happened because of COVID is that the average age of marriage dropped from 14 to 12. Right. And that does not bode well for pelvic floors. <laughs> right. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I do believe that I do believe that the women's bodies pick up on the collective field and when we're truly open and maybe we have a, a psychic opening or spiritual opening and our bodies have this resonance of picking up what's going on on this earth. And I wrote about this recently on my blog that I'm interested in all women being free. And even though I feel really good in my body and I still have more work to do always, but I feel so different than I used to with my pelvic health, but that I I feel things about what's happening in the collective and that we're not all free until everyone is free. And that's, for me, that's the women's health movement. And I really feel that there's a something that's happening around like awareness and awakening of it. And that's why I love finding your books and reading the way that you write, the personalities of the organs and it's really incredible. So I just want to say thank you for your work. <laughs> well, I like to amuse myself. So I, one of the ways I amuse myself is by letting the organs speak for themselves. And I had a good time with it. I love the bladder saying it all goes round and round, but it comes down to me. Mm -hmm. And that I often tell the story of how I could write prostate. I had no problem with prostate. It's just a uterus. It's just a, you know, a uterus that never really got a chance. And I was even fine with testicles, which are, you know, just ovaries that are kind of hanging low. But I really came to a dead halt on penis. I could not get the voice of penis for anything. And so I had to take it to my dreams. And my dreams, (laughs) um, you know, when I woke up the next morning, my dreams said, um, man is a thinker. I I am his thought. Uh, man is mm-hmm. a doer. I am his action. Mm. And yeah, uh, then I, I got it. it. I, 
And I began to understand really indeed what penis was about. But penis or no penis, right, vagina or no vagina, we all have a pelvic floor. And that was something that was really impressed upon me by the people like yourself who work with pelvic floors, that it tends to be a discussion that women have, but that men have also experienced this collective trauma, whether they've experienced it personally or not, and that their pelvic floors are impacted too. Do you find that you ever do work with men? Absolutely. I agree. I think that all humans across the board could really benefit from pelvic floor therapy. I have worked with a couple men. I really focus my work on women's work. It's um, it's just where my focus has gone and most of my studying. And I advocate for and want men to have more access to this work. And it's challenging to, outside of pelvic floor physical therapists and the big practices, it can be hard to find people that work with male bodies genitally in a more holistic way. And, you know, the vaginal canal, it does give a certain type of access to pelvic floor work. And pelvic floor work can be incredible done rectally with the male body. And I'm thinking of a family member who has prostate health issues and working with the prostate rectally. And there's so much goodness that I advocate for and love to discuss. And I have worked with some men, and I do focus my work on working with women or working with people that have the vulva-bodied experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that then leads us to um, um, I'm wondering um, if you've worked with any women who decided to be women. Right. And have had um, surgery to remove their penis and perhaps mm-hmm. surgery to create a replica of a vagina. Yes, I only one. I've worked with one client who has this experience and um still incredible. Like there were different kinds of challenges that we worked with and it's, um, you know, like the layers of the tissues and how they're structured when a uterus is present and when a cervix is present, things are different. And so some of the challenges that that person was going through and had was mostly around um, lubrication and tension and like uh, just it's like spatial, like a spatial construction organization challenge and and some pain and some real um, challenging symptoms and so the work is similar there's a, there's, a, there's a series of movies called dis dys dystopic and mm-hmm. um, there are interviews with people who've had that surgery and have re-transitioned back to the original, right, as close as they could get back to what they were actually born with. And they talk at great Mm -hmm. lengths about the trauma of that surgery and the ongoing horrible pain. Yes, yeah. And they wish that one would would have been more explicit about the fact that you 
will wind up with chronic pain if you start cutting away at sexual organs. There are a lot of nerves there. Absolutely. Yeah, the nerves. That's my favorite part of my work is working directly with nerves. And it's incredible to feel a nerve right against the skin. With There's no um, skin barrier. There is a glove barrier. I always wear gloves. But to have no, like, top of the skin barrier and to feel that nerve, it's like pure life force. And to cut nerves and do that type of reconstruction work is, very challenging to heal from and sometimes um, can take so long and sometimes doesn't really turn around. And I think that's really unfortunate and um, quite sad to go into something like that and then to only learn about that after you've gotten through it. I feel like the same type of thing sometimes happens with hysterectomies where, um, and I'm not against it. I'm just saying I wish that we had a lot more information and, real informed consent before we do such a big process like like a surgery like that. I agree, especially because the word hysterectomy is nowadays used to also mean the removal of the ovaries. And we're very clear from the research that ovarian cancer doesn't start in the ovaries, and removing the ovaries doesn't prevent ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer starts in the fallopian tubes. And if a woman needs a hysterectomy, and the hysterectomy education resource um, service, HERS, says that 99% of the hysterectomies done in westernized countries are not medically necessary. That's a huge amount of hysterectomies, not medically necessary. So I suggest that any woman who's considering a hysterectomy get in touch with hers. Hysterectomy Education Resource Services. And they'll be very clear with you if they they think that it is medically necessary. And if not, they will help direct you to places that can help you keep your uterus if you are feeling so pressured into having your uterus removed that you're going to cave and do it. Hold on to your ovaries. Make the doctors sign in blood that they won't touch your ovaries. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's. Um, I just had a dear friend go through uterus removal. And, uh, I really got to learn so much about how she talked about it and advocated for herself. And, you know, I think there is a way to go into that and, have an experience where we do feel empowered and it takes so much communication and advocating for ourselves and speaking up and maybe asking for a lot of extra time and asking tons of questions and maybe even changing doctors if you don't feel good about the person you're working with and can be, um, yeah, and of course the real difficulty is that you, the questions that you don't ask are the ones that you don't get answered and you don't know to ask them. Right, right. I could talk to you for such a long time, Alicia. It's hard to believe that our half hour is already up. I feel like we've just gotten started. You're a fascinating woman. And I think you know that I talk about you weaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to thank you for the superb work that you are doing in that reweaving, that you're really reweaving this from the ground floor up. You are reweaving it right there at the place that is our foundation, is 
the link to our ancestors, to the mother line. You literally have your finger there on the nerve that is so important in this reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. My deep gratitude for all you're doing. Thank you for having me. And it's been a real honor, truly. I was so excited when I was like, Susan wants to talk to me? <laughs> like, yes, so I do. I'm very grateful. Uh, and what a great conversation it's been. Thank you. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to a delightful place as people's medicine. Everybody get out there. It's summertime. The herbs are growing. Green blessings are everywhere. Good night.